0: You can turn in your Bibles to the book of John. We're taking a break in the Gospel of Mark and going over to the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John. I want to begin by asking a question. How do you know if your love for Christ will withstand times of testing? How do you know that before you go into the testing? Is there a way to know? Even as the choir sang this morning, let me serve you with a pure heart. Let me love you with a pure heart. And the question arises, well, how, how do I know if I have a pure heart in my love, and my service? How do I know that when tough times come, when suffering comes, I will stay faithful to Christ? We're going to ask that question this morning as we look at love refined by failure, and we're going to consider this from the story of Peter. I know it's kind of unfair that we, whenever we talk about failure, we often mention poor Peter, you know, but uh, there's a reason for that, and there's incredible grace by God that, that is seen in that story. And we're going to look, actually, We're gonna, instead of just sticking in one passage, we're going to be surveying three different chapters in the book of John. We're going to be looking at John 13, John 18, and then John 21, because we're going to be following a story. We're going to be tracking a theme of Peter's love for Christ. In chapter 13, we're going to see Peter's love before his denial. In chapter 18, we're going to see Peter's love in the moment of his denial, when he denies the Lord three times. And then in chapter 21, we're going to see Peter's love after his denial. And what do we learn from this? And how can we, as Christians, as we seek to love Christ, as we seek to stay faithful to him, even in difficult times, how do we allow our love to be refined, even by failure? But before we get into the text this morning, let's pray and ask God to guide us as we look in his word. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, you, we love you because you first loved us. And as we seek to serve you, Lord, we, we, we readily acknowledge that so many times our love for you is weak, isn't as strong as we'd like it to be. So as we look in your word, I pray that you would guide us in your truth so we can grow closer to you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Peter sat by the campfire and across from him was the Lord Jesus, the resurrected Jesus at this point. God in the flesh, his Savior and Lord, looking right back at him across the campfire. And the memory was still fresh in Peter's mind. That servant girl looking at him at that other campfire in the courtyard while Jesus was being tried. He remembered his blatant denial of Christ not once, not twice, but three times. And I'm sure also fresh in Peter's memory. Was his own confident claims. I will never deny you. I will never fall away. I am ready to go to prison with you and to death, is what Peter said. And perhaps he sat there at that campfire on the beach, thinking to himself, all empty, all lies. And here he was sitting across from the one whom he had denied, the one who had given him the words of life and shown him the glory of the Father. And then the silence is broken as Jesus looks back at him from across the campfire, opens his mouth, and asks, Peter, do you love me? If you were Peter, how would you answer that question? Do I love him? Can I really say, after I've denied him so blatantly, that I truly love Jesus? Is there any second chance for me? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, I know you love him, like Peter did. But maybe also like Peter, you wonder how sure is my love? How deep is my love? Will it withstand times of testing, or will I fall as Peter did? Sometimes the trial of life reveal the weaknesses of our love for Christ, but it is through this failure, I believe, that Christ, in his mercy and grace, can refine and deepen our love for him and strengthen our dependence and our submission on him. As I said, we're going to be looking at the story of Peter. What do we know about Peter? There's two things that we know about Peter. First of all, we know that his love for Christ was undeniable. There is this, you read the Gospels and you see this Peter-like zeal, where he just, he exudes love for Christ, usually going a bit too far and saying a bit too much in the moment. And that leads us to the second thing we know about Peter. We knew that he loved Christ, but we also know that Peter didn't think things through all the way. You ever known someone that 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 just says a couple sentences too much, a little bit two sentences more than they should? They should have stopped a little bit earlier in their sentence. That's Peter. Okay, Peter was loved Christ, but he said. Some, some dumb things. In fact, uh, I, I read a synopsis of the four Gospels uh, in this way, that the book of Matthew shows us that Jesus is the Messiah and Peter says dumb stuff. Mark says Jesus is the suffering servant. Peter says dumb stuff. Luke, Jesus is the son of God. Peter says dumb stuff. And John, Jesus is the son of God. And Peter says dumb stuff. All right? it's, just a, it's a common theme. And I think that's why we relate to Peter, right? We, 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 we love Christ. But we look at how Peter so often... Messed up. How his pride got in the way. How, how he said a little bit too much and we say, you know what, I, I feel like Peter sometimes. And as we trace this, this path that Peter goes on from before his denial, during his denial, and after his denial, we're going to see Christ's incredible grace and in how he takes someone who loves him but is weak and uses him to do great things. We're going to see his love refined by failure. We're starting in John chapter 13. And first, what I want to look at today is the prideful love of Peter, the prideful love of Peter. You may ask, can you, can you have a love for Christ that's prideful? I, I think you can. I think you can, that there's a sense in which you love Christ, but you're also proud about it, if you know what I mean. And that's kind of sounds how, 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 how Peter was. In John chapter 13, we find ourselves in the upper room. The feast of Passover. It says in verse 1, When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And here's his opportunity as the Savior to give one last lesson to his disciples of what it looked like to love Jesus. He sets a clear example in this passage, in John 13, that if you love him, you will serve and love one another. This was the thing that he was trying to show his disciples, not only through his words, but also also through his actions. If you know the the chapter, John 13, you know exactly how he showed that lesson. Verse 1, or I'm sorry, verse 2, after supper being ended... The devil having already put it into his heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, "'Lord, you washing my feet?' Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And here's Peter saying just one sentence too much, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, Well, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. And here's Peter again, Lord, give me a bath, basically, is what he says. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. What's he doing here? He is setting the example that if you love Jesus, you will serve each other. He says this later on in the passage. And if you look in verse 13, or in the end of verse 12, it says, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So he says, If you love me, you will serve selflessly one another. Skip down to verses 34 through 35. He's in the in the verses preceding, he talks about how he's about to be glorified by his death. Verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by all this will know, by all by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus says this clear example, but Peter misses the example. He misses it. In John 13, he didn't understand the... Uh, sorry, in, in the first, when he's, when he's washing the feet, he didn't understand the concept of a master who serves. In fact, that's exactly why Jesus answered him in verse 7, what I'm doing now, you, you don't understand. But you will understand later. I want you to hang on to that, because that's going to come in really important later on in our message today. Jesus told Peter, I know what I'm doing right now you don't get. But later on, you're going to get it. He also didn't understand the concept of a Savior who dies. When Jesus says, I'm about to be glorified, I'm about to leave you, verse 36 says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. He sets himself up as a savior, master who serves. He sets himself up as a savior who dies, and in both cases, Peter's like, what? And Jesus says, I know you don't get it. I know you don't get it, but you will later. In a, in a sense, I think he was telling Peter, Peter, for a guy like you, you're going to have to learn the hard way. And then you'll understand and follow me. You love me, but you're missing something. What's he missing? I think he's missing a humble submission to the will and the plan of Christ. And once you're humbled, then you'll follow me. Jesus knew that Peter loved him. But he also knew that while he loved Jesus, he had a prideful love. Peter's love was not characterized by humble submission to Christ, but in many times, self-confidence in his own devotion. Do you love Jesus? Well, is it a prideful love or a submissive love? Well, how can you tell? That's an important question to ask. Do I have a prideful love like Peter? Well, let me ask three questions. From the life of Peter, how he expressed his love to see whether or not do I have a prideful love, a love that is is grounded in my own self-confidence, my own ability to stay faithful to Christ. Here's three questions to ask yourself. Number one, do you try to set the terms for what it means to follow Christ. If so, you have a prideful love. This is exactly what Peter did. You remember what he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22, when Jesus said, I am going to be taken up, I'm going to die. And this is right after he called Peter the, the rock, right? He's going to build his church, and Peter's probably just, just really excited about that and feels really important. And then he talks about dying, and, and Peter pulls him aside. And he began to rebuke Jesus. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus very clearly said, this is the plan. And Peter says, no, it's not. (laughs) This is not the way that we are going to follow Christ. A passionate zeal for Christ does not give you the liberty to overlook the clear teachings of Christ. You know, I have such a passion, such a desire for Christ that I can't waste it on something mundane and boring like washing feet or just loving each other, (laughs) serving in the church. I need to do something big. I need to do something huge, something that will change the world. All the while, Jesus clearly telling us what it means to love him. He says, if you love me, then I want you to love each other. If you love me, I want you to serve each other. I want you to sacrifice for each other. Take a towel, wash dirty feet, love each other selflessly, deny yourself and take up your cross. And we say, no, not for me. My my energy can't be wasted on something like that. I have a better idea of showing my love for Christ other than the clear way that Jesus asked me to show my love for him. I mean, think of it this way. Valentine's Day is coming up, right? Husbands, that's for you to remember. Um, husband's, day, hu- husband's Day, well, yeah. <laughs> Valentine's Day is coming up soon. Now let's say I go out and I, and I get a present for my wife for Valentine's Day. And she says, I would really love this for Valentine's Day. And I think, mm, nah. I have a better idea. <laughs> How does that go? Not great, right? I get a clear idea of what it means to love my wife, and in my pride, I say, I've got a better idea. Okay? What that shows is not my love for my wife, but my pride in my own ability to love my wife. Can we do that in a relationship with Christ? I'm more concerned with proving what a good Christian I am than actually pleasing Jesus. It's a strange blend of love for Christ and pride for self. If you have a humble love, you'll ask the question, how does Jesus want to be loved? If you have a prideful love, you won't even bother to ask the question because you'll already have a better idea. Prideful love tries to set the terms for what it means to follow Christ. This is exactly what Peter did. Another thing Peter did is compare his love to the love of others. This is another question to ask yourself. Do I have a prideful love, a self-confident love in myself? In Matthew 26, 33, it says, Peter answered Christ, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Yeah, those other disciples, I can see them falling away, but not me. Not me. I'm standing firm. There's no way that I'm going to deny you. It was a comparative love. It was, I love Jesus more than these other disciples. And this reveals that your confidence lies in your own abilities to love Christ. And in that sense, it's prideful. And then, thirdly, are you prayerless? Prideful love has not the, the humble realization that you are susceptible to failure. For Peter, there wasn't a chance in the world that he would ever deny Christ. He was so confident in his love that he said he would die with Christ. When you're that confident, you don't pray. Look in verse 38 of chapter 13. At verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down my life, your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying before his hour of testing, what were Peter and the disciples doing? They were sleeping, weren't they? Matthew 26, verse 40 says, He came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, He calls out Peter, the one who says, I will never deny you. And he says, couldn't you watch with me one hour? And we see here a precursor to the weakness of Peter's devotion. He said he would die for Jesus, but he couldn't even stay awake for Jesus. And then he follows up by saying in verse 41 of Matthew 26, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing the flesh is weak. And Peter didn't see that. He thought his flesh was strong. He knew he had a willing spirit. He knew that he was going to serve Christ and stay faithful to him. But Jesus says the flesh is weak. And so what do you need to do? You need to pray. You need me. You need my grace. Do you have a prideful love like Peter? Do you set the terms? Do you compare with others? Are you prayerless? The very last words of Jesus in chapter 13 foreshadow the consequences of Peter's prideful love, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. We're going to see when prideful love is tested, it proves to be a weak love. Peter is about to enter a moment of testing without a complete submission to Jesus' plan. He's about to enter a moment of testing prayerless. And he is about to enter a moment of testing with only his confidence in his own ability to stay faithful to Christ. He had a very willing spirit, but he had a very weak flesh. Now I want to turn over to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. It's here we see the moment of testing. Jesus is entering his hour of testing in the power of the Spirit and in submission to the Father while Peter enters it with his unbreakable zeal and his undying devotion to Christ. And John masterfully intertwines these two stories, where we see Jesus standing firm in a a moment of incredible testing, and we see Peter caving in his hour of testing. Verses 1-11 through is when they're in the garden and the soldiers come, to arrest him when Judas leads the troops and points out Jesus. And here we see Jesus and Peter both exhibiting their sense of power, their ability, over the situation. What does it look like for Jesus? Verse 4, Jesus therefore, knowing all things would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. He said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he. This is cool. They drew, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus is exhibiting his power in this moment. That he's in complete control of the situation. You'd think that Peter would have caught that. <laughs> that he, he sees this troop come against Jesus. Jesus says, I am he. And when he mentions, I am he, The whole company of troops just fall to the ground. And here's Peter with his little sword. And he says, It's time. And he runs forward and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. He saw the clear power of Jesus, yet still willing to sacrifice himself. And he should have concluded that Jesus had the power to rescue himself, yet willingly surrendered. That So maybe Jesus is doing this on purpose. And yet in his brashness, he runs forward with his little sword and severs ears in his wake. A servant was trying to act greater than his master. And back in chapter 13, what do we see? When the master is serving, he looks at Peter and says, well, yeah, what I'm doing now, you won't get, but you will later. And then in verses 12-32 through of John chapter 18, John skips back and forth between Peter's denials and Jesus' interrogations. And he highlights the stark contrast between the two. While Jesus is standing firm against the questions of the high priest and of Pilate, Peter is caving under the inquiry of a servant girl. Peter had failed. His boastful claims were empty. He experienced firsthand what Jesus had warned them about in the garden, that the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Look in chapter 18, verse 16. This is when Jesus is in front of Caiaphas. Verse 16, Peter stood at the door outside. And the other disciple... Who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. I mean, Peter didn't even have the courage to go through the door. John had to go in. He knew someone there. He kept the door and came out and said, Peter, come on, come on, let's go. Verse 17 Then servant, the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Contrast that to the garden when he says, we were looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And now the question is leveled by a servant girl to Peter. And he says, I am not. In his hour of testing, Paul's unmatched devotion was was strong enough to leave him lingering outside the door to the courtyard, but not strong enough to withstand the inquiry of a servant girl. He went into his hour of testing, not in submission to the Father's will, nor in the power of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus entered his, but in complete confidence in his own devotion and willpower. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. What happens when you bring prideful love, a love for Christ, who tries to call the shots, compares to others, and doesn't think to pray? What happens when you bring that type of love into a time of testing? you realize quickly that prideful love is no match for self-preservation. Because when your confidence rests in your own capacity to love Jesus, you betray the fact that there is still a subtle self-love present in your heart. And in the moment of testing, that self-love will result in self-preservation. When your confidence to endure rests in your flesh, you will not endure. Our ability to endure through trial doesn't rest in our ability to love, to fight, to overcome. In fact, it does not rest in ourselves at all. The only thing that kept Peter from experiencing the same fate as Judas, Judas betrayed Christ, and it resulted in him going out and hanging himself. What kept Peter from that same fate? I believe the only thing that kept Peter from that same fate was not his ability to love, but it was the intercession of Christ on his behalf. Look in uh, Luke, Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 32. Right after he prophesied Peter's denial, Jesus tells him this word, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Hearkening right back to the example he set in John 13, serving and loving your brothers. Once you've come back, Peter, then do what I called you to do. It was only the intercession of Christ that kept Peter from a horrible end. Our love is so weak But Christ's love for us is so strong. The ability to endure in trial is not us saying, I will never deny Christ. It's knowing that Christ says, I will never deny you. The ability to endure in trial is not our ability to say, I will die for Christ. It comes from remembering that Christ died for me. Peter realized that he could not rely on his love for Christ He had to rely on Christ's love for him. He failed in his moment of testing. So what do we do? How do we know? How do we allow our love to be refined by failure? How do we move forward from here? How does does Peter move forward from here? And finally, I want us to look at at Peter's submitted love. Turn over to John chapter 21. At this point in our story, Jesus has been crucified and has risen from the dead. Peter had already seen the empty tomb. Jesus had already appeared to the disciples twice, but there hasn't been any indication that Jesus has directly spoken with Peter about his denial or the status of his role as a disciple. Chapter 21 opens up by the Sea of Galilee where the disciples are fishing. In fact, it was Peter's idea. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Back to to what I was doing before. They said to him, We are going with you. So they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus said to them, "Children, have you any food?" They answered him, "No." And he cast to them, and he said to them, "Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some." So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. And therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, "It is the Lord." And in case you're wondering, if Peter had lost any of his Peter-like zeal, he has not. We see some classic Peter enthusiasm in this story. Look, 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 Let's look at the verses. Upon realizing that the man on the shore was Jesus, who plunges headlong into the water and starts violently swimming to land, Peter does. And and, and, and I, maybe this is my imagination, but it seems like John's almost giving a subtle jab at, at Peter here. Look in verse, uh, let's see verse, where it says, Simon Peter, verse 7, heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. Verse 8, but the other disciples came in the little boat. Parentheses. For they were not far from land. Okay? Like, there goes Peter! And the rest of the disciples are like, we can just use the boat, right? We're, we're not far from land. But Peter's swimming to the shore. Not waiting for anyone else. And then, when they reach the shore, Jesus tells them Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Who jumps up? Peter does. This is a net that they couldn't bring into the boat. He goes so far as to count the fish that there was 200 something fish in there. And who jumps up? Peter does. He runs over and drags the entire net of fish over to the fire. Peter hadn't lost his enthusiasm. Peter hadn't broken his love and his affection for Christ, but he had broken his self-sufficiency. Have you had your self-sufficiency broken? Do you look back at a time when you were so proud of your love for Christ... You were on fire. You, caught, you were caught up in the emotion of it all, and then suffering came. And the zeal you had proved itself to be no match for your panicked desperation of self-preservation as you sought to escape the suffering. And now, like Peter, you've fallen. Your boastful claims of the past are empty, and you wonder, can I still love Christ? And this is where we find Peter. In his enthusiasm that hadn't gone away, they're sitting down, for a heart to heart and the one who had denied him 3 times spoke and now in his brokenness Peter is ready to listen back in John 13 Jesus said you do not understand this but now you will later he said you're not able to follow me now but you will follow me later now is that time finally Peter was ready to love Jesus the way Jesus wanted to be loved. We're about to see what affection for Christ looks like when it is submitted to his will, dependent on his strength and empty of self-love and self-glory. Let's pick it up in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Peter, or Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonah, "Do you love me more than these?" He said to him, "Yes, Lord. You know that I love you." He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He asked the same question for every time that Peter had denied Christ And I'm sure at this point, Peter realizes the connection. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter was finally ready to love Jesus the way Jesus wanted to be loved. And what does this submissive love look like? Submissive love realizes that there's no longer any place for competition. That it's not a matter of do I love Christ more than this other person? Verse 15 of our passage. He asks the question, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? This is most likely referring to the love of the other disciples. He's saying, Peter, do you love me more than the love of the other disciples? You used to compare yourself with the other disciples before. In a sense, how are you doing now? Peter could not point to his actions or to his zeal, or he could no longer compare his love to the other disciples. The only thing that he could point to was Jesus' knowledge of his heart. The only thing he could point to was Jesus, you know all things. You know that I, that I love you. And that was the only thing that he could give as evidence. Submissive love doesn't measure itself against the love of others. There's no place for competition anymore. There's, there's, there's no place for competition when, in, in time, terms of service, and there's no place for competition in terms of sacrifice. Because not only does Jesus tell him how he wants to be loved, he also then tells Peter, this is how I want you to sacrifice for me. Look in verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger... You girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. After Jesus described the manner of death by which Peter would glorify God, what was Peter's first response this is really interesting. Jesus says, follow me. I think in, both in terms of follow me and death, but it seems as if they get up and go on a walk because verse, 22, verse 20 says, then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. So at this point, it seems like they've gotten up from the campfire. They're walking down the beach. And Jesus has just told him, this is how you're going to die for me. And what does Peter do? He looks back and sees John. The competition between the two is still going strong. And he says, Lord... Um, what about that one? Verse 21, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. He was reminding Peter again, stop comparing. I have a plan for each one of you. And your plan is different from someone else's plan. And don't look at the plan that I have for you and say, well, Why don't they have to sacrifice like I do? What is that to you? Stop comparing. Submit to the plan of Christ. If God chooses to spare one and take another, what is that to you? Submissively follow Jesus, no matter where it leads, and no matter what anybody else does. And Peter was ready to follow Jesus the way Jesus wanted to be followed. And love Jesus the way He wanted to be loved. Submissive love also realizes that Jesus now sets the terms. Jesus sets the terms for service. He said three times, "If you love me, feed my sheep." If Jesus were to set the te- or if Peter were to set the terms for what his ministry looked like, what would it be? If you said Peter, choose your path. Do right, you remember anyone remember Choose Your Own Adventure books growing up? No one? Okay, just me. I see a couple nods. All right, we'll talk later. Um, but it's the idea of choosing, you know, can you choose your own path? If, if Peter chose his own path, what do you think Peter's idea of service would look like? Maybe being Jesus' right-hand man, holding authority and power, leading the Lord's army forward into battle, something awesome? Surely not as something as boring as feeding sheep. Isn't, it's not a good fit for a firebrand like Peter? But that's what Jesus wanted. The example of Jesus' love and service we saw in John 13. The example that Peter didn't understand at the time now made sense to Peter. This is the highest calling. This is the most noble profession, to feed and love his people, sacrificially serving them. And Peter was to put all of his Peter-like energy into feeding lambs. And as it turned out, Jesus was going to use Peter to change the world. But he was going to do it through the mundane, boring life of serving and loving the flock. Jesus sets the terms for our service. And he says, if you love me, do what you're going to do. You're going to love each other. You're going to feed the sheep. You're going to serve the church. Jesus loves his church, and he looks to us and says, if you really want to show your love to me, serve your brother and sister, love them like I loved you, show hospitality, wash feet. We don't get to set the terms on our service for Christ. We don't have the, the liberty to read his commands for us to love and serve the body and say, that's nice and all, but there are bigger things for me. So many Christians dream of doing some grand and noble work for Christ, proving their love for Jesus by changing the world, and they overlook the church while doing it. If you find that your love for Jesus is not directed toward loving his church, then you have not submitted your love for Christ to Christ. You have a prideful love. Jesus said three times, If you love me, feed my sheep. And submissive love sets the terms, lets Jesus set the terms, for sacrifice. Jesus decided how Peter was going to die for him. Again, if Peter were to set the terms for how he was going to die for Jesus, how do you think that would go? What kind of death would that be? Standing firm against the heretic horde, going out with guns blazing, severing ears left and right, fighting for Christ to the end, or perhaps being taken up in a cloud of glory by a heavenly chariot. But Jesus' plan for Peter's martyrdom is humiliating. It's un-Peter-like. Verses 18 and 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. He said, Peter, this is my plan for you. You're going to glorify me in death and you'll be powerless, you'll be weak, you'll be vulnerable. To the human eyes, the vibrant, strong Peter will fizzle out in weakness and defeat. It won't be impressive. It won't be glorious. But in God's eyes, this is the death by which Peter would glorify God. And maybe it's not what Peter would have chosen. But now, in his brokenness, when you realize it's not in my ability to love Christ. Christ did all for me. Christ died for me. Christ lives for me. I will serve him and sacrifice to him however he wishes. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was facing his death, what did he say? He said, Lord, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Submissive love doesn't set the terms for service, doesn't set the terms for sacrifice. Prideful love would push back against such a thing. Jesus knows which path will most glorify him in your life. And it's very rarely the one that we would have picked out for ourselves. But submissive love will say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Prideful love for Christ competes with others and tries to set the terms for service But this love won't endure in suffering because it's rooted in self-confidence. Prideful love is weak love. It is only when we submit our will and our plans to our Savior who gave himself for us and we depend on his love for us, rather on our love for him, that we can endure suffering and trials. Submissive love. And it is by submitting to the will of our Savior that we find rest and joy and peace even in the midst of testing. Before we close today, I want us to ask the question Did Peter get the message? Did he get it? Did he redirect his love for Christ submissively to Christ's will, Christ's plan? Well, let's ask that question. Peter wrote a couple of letters 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Did he bend his will to Christ, devoting all of his Peter like zeal toward the will of his Savior? Feed my sheep. Serve each other selflessly. Sacrifice yourself for me. Well, let's look what he said to pastors in First Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder in a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory which is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Jesus said in the upper room when he was washing feet, Peter, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but later you will. He gets it now. He tells the other pastors, feed the sheep, because that's how Jesus wants to be loved. What did he say to church members? 1 Peter 4, verses 7-9, through the end of all things is at hand. We don't have much time left, so take up your sword, right? Be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, and above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve. As God's steward, as stewards of God's varied grace, the old Peter, if he were to say, "The end of all things is at hand," so let's do this. What would have things? What kind of things would be in that instruction? Take up the sword, fight. Right now, having been submitted to the love of Christ, the end of all things is at hand. So, above all, keep loving each other. And then look in Second Peter chapter one, verses 12 through 15. "Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you now know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, he direct, direct connection to John 21, where Jesus clearly tells him, this is the death that you're going to glorify me. And right here in Second Peter, he says, the Lord made clear that the putting off of my body will be soon. And until that time, I will remind you and remind you and remind you and feed you and feed you and feed you. I'm just going to keep putting that plate of food in front of you until after I am gone. He says, I'll make every effort so that after my departure... You may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter took his Peter-like zeal. He's like, okay, God, if you want me to feed sheep, I am going to feed sheep. I am going to keep feeding them to where I'm long gone. They're going to be able to remember the things I taught them in an instant because I kept repeating them again and again and again because I love Christ. And I want to love Christ the way he wants to be loved. I'm going to feed sheep. And he's set a plan for me. He has has told me how I'm going to glorify him in death. And I've submitted to that. And until that time, I'm just going to keep loving. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep feeding. He no longer had a self-sufficient, prideful confidence in his ability to love Christ. He had been broken of that. And you realize it's only by the love of Christ that I endure, not the other way around. And when we submit to Him, and we we don't try to call the shots anymore, and we don't compare our love to others, and we don't remain prayerless, but we bend our knees before the Father, and we say, Your will be done. It is there that our love is refined by failure. Let's pray together. Lord, Our love for you is so weak. We're caught off guard so many times by our sense of self-preservation. Our pride so often gets in the way. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. You took a guy like Peter who denied you three times and you brought him back and you used him in a powerful way Lord, help us to submit our love to Your plan and Your will, whatever that may be. Guard us from comparing our path to others. Guard us from trying to set the terms for our service. Keep us devoted to You in prayer. Our flesh is weak; we need Your help. Lord, we thank You that, despite our weakness, You are strong. And the only reason we can love You is because You.